My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Julie Crooks. Since the invention in the 19th century of the first processes for capturing photographic images, such visual representations have come to take on an ever more important role in the ways we make and communicate meaning about the world. As with all other media, images provide not some sort of simple window into capital T truth, but rather a way for particular creators and institutions to make claims about what is real and important and what is not. Photography can thus be a tool of oppression and exploitation and a weapon of the powerful, and it can also be a tool of liberation and a weapon in the hands of those struggling for justice. Julie Crooks is an instructor at the University of Toronto, an independent curator, and a co-founder of Black Artists Network Dialogue, or BAND. She was the co-curator of a recently finished photography exhibition at the Gladstone Hotel in Toronto called No Justice, No Peace, From Ferguson to Toronto. No Justice, No Peace is part of a still-ongoing larger season of exhibitions about historical and contemporary struggles presented by the Ryerson Image Center and band called Power to the People, Photography and Video of Repression and Black Protest. This broader season of exhibitions features a number of key figures, moments, and places in struggles, particularly black struggles, in North America. One exhibition shows images from the famous Attica prison uprising of 1971, Another commemorates the 1963 church bombing in Birmingham, Alabama. Others feature images of black radicals like David Hilliard, Angela Davis, and Kathleen Cleaver. Crooks, however, talks mainly about the No Justice, No Peace exhibition, which works to position, quote, photography at the forefront during an era of heightened global protests and systemic violence by police, end quote. It features work from artists Chun Li, Jelani Morgan, and Nation Chong. Chun Li's images were taken during the fateful protests in Ferguson, Missouri, in the aftermath of the police murder of Michael Brown, protests that were an important early eruption in the Black Lives Matter movement. Jelani Morgan's work depicts some of the vital and powerful actions taken by Black Lives Matter Toronto over the last few years, and Nation Chong's images feature various other scenes of contemporary grassroots political activity in the Toronto context. Crooks speaks with me about the No Justice, No Peace exhibition, about the continuums of both anti-black racism and black resistance that are just as present in Canada as south of the border and just as crucial today as in days gone by, and about the place of photography in struggles for justice and liberation today. We spoke by Skype to phone from Toronto. My name is Julie Crooks, and I am an independent curator and an instructor at U of T. And the exhibit, No Justice, No Peace, from Ferguson to Toronto, is a photo-based exhibition using the work of three photographers, Nation Chung, Chun Li, and Jelani Morgan, that basically draws attention to recent protests against police violence and anti-Black racism. 
first in Ferguson and kind of the spark of the Black Lives Matter movement and then how that movement was shifted to Toronto with BOMTO. But also a larger objective was to show the kind of continuum of these protests and the photography that documents these protests, both in the U.S. and in Canada. I grew up in Toronto in the 70s, and so I was very aware of prior activism, protest movements, demonstrations involving the Black community related to similar encounters, police violence, systemic racism. So I kind of had that lived experience of growing up in the community, being witness to these protests, being part of those protests. But I came at it from a particular lens, and that's being art, visual art. I got a degree from York University, a master's from York University, and then continued my studies at the School of Oriental and African Studies in the UK, particularly in photography, but looking at the history of photography in West Africa and the way that photography had been used as kind of a tool and a weapon to counter the colonized lens with local photographers offering a kind of counter-narrative to the stereotypical tropes around Africans as, you know, uncivilized and, you know, savage less than their Western counterparts. So I was really interested in that kind of line of study. And I guess I see in that my continued activism, interest in uncovering hidden or erased or neglected histories, especially as they relate to Africa and African diasporic people. How did the No Justice, No Peace exhibit come about? The genesis did not come from me. The conversation started with fan chair, Karen Carter, who had a conversation with Paul Roth, who's the director of the Ryerson Image Center. At that point, he knew that they were going to show the Attica images, show images from Birmingham 1963 that are culled from the collection, as well as Dawood Bay's memorial piece on the Birmingham bombing and the killing of the four little girls. So he knew that these various elements were going to be part of this larger season called Power to the People and wanted to find a way to incorporate a partnership with BAND. And BAND stands for the Black Artist Network in Dialogue. It's an organization that seeks to support and document and exhibit Black artists at various parts in their development, so from the emerging to established. So then the conversation was, well, what kind of show do we want to have? And that's when I came into the conversation and decided that rather than doing a kind of historic exhibition or an exhibition that looked again at kind of historical protests or demonstrations, that we should concentrate on the contemporary, the present. And again, thinking about this continuum, that what's happening in Birmingham, what happened at Attica, you know, 1968 all of these flashpoints of activism was part of a continuum and that Ferguson was part of that history as well. 
And I knew that Chen Li had gone to Ferguson at the beginning of the groundswell of protests had been embedded in the demonstrations, and that he had a body of images that could be shown, and that Jelani Morgan represented an even younger, but not much younger, but still a different kind of lens that was trained on what was happening in Toronto in terms of Black Lives Matter, and also using social media, which of course was not available in the 70s and 80s, but was a very interesting platform that both Chin Lee and Jelani were using to disseminate their images quickly with a kind of sense of urgency. And I was really interested in that aspect as well. So we talked to Paul about it. He was really excited about this prospect. And then, you know, we started the process of talking to the artists, looking at the work, figuring out a space. And of course, the Gladstone we're using as a kind of pop-up space for this show. And then we began to organize it. The Power to the People show and the No Justice, No Peace Ferguson to Toronto show, I think while a lot of it is about protesting the brutality of the police, especially in the Birmingham images and, of course, Attica, etc., these are also images about the challenge and the resistance. I think it's important to note that, that, that while there is this trauma and brutalization, Black people are always there to challenge and resist such brutalization and oppression, etc. The highlighting of the resistance is very important, especially now. Tell me more about the three photographers who are featured in the No Justice, No Peace exhibit. Nation's work is a bit different in that it's not specifically about police violence against Black bodies or that kind of thing. He was photographing at Queen's Park during a Nation of Islam rally because one of its members who was coming in from the States had been stopped at the border. And then there was a kind of general, I guess, meeting featuring different organizations based on different grassroots ideas and issues, all kind of converging at Queen's Park at the same time. So his work is a little bit different, but they're still talking about activism from various communities. So we saw all three, Nation, Chunli, and Jelani, as kind of photo activists who were drawing attention to all of these protests and demonstrations and the people that were actively participating. For the viewer, that's what we really wanted to put across, that all three photographers are really looking at the humanity of the activists, the demonstrators, the people involved, and trying to look at them individually. Even within the act of demonstrating as a whole, there are all of these individuals who are taking part. And all of the photographers were really keen on capturing the kind of generalized and then the individual who was taking part for this larger movement. So that's what we're really keen for the audience to take away. And also the fact that this, again, is not a new phenomenon, especially in Toronto, because we wanted to keep it very much about a Canadian experience as well that this has been an ongoing part of Canadian history as it relates to these inequities, systemic inequities and racialized bodies, militaristic police. All of these things were embodied in the work that all three of these, again, as we call them, photo activists were producing. 
Describe for listeners one or two or three images from the exhibit that you find particularly powerful or that have really stuck with you. Chen Li's work from Ferguson, of course, are really, really visually compelling and rich, rich with symbolism. For instance, there's one image which is kind of the centerpiece work that features a young man obviously visibly upset and chanting a slogan, perhaps it's no justice, no peace. And in the background is this blurred American flag. The American flag is blurred. So it's a really, really powerful piece about the marginalization of Black people, especially in a place like Ferguson, and the willingness to activate your voice and the urgency around that kind of activation because of the kind of social injustice and actually political injustice that was occurring in Ferguson and in other parts of the U.S. as well. So for me, that's a really powerful image. Jelani has another image of the demonstrators here in Toronto who stage a lie-in. It's in black and white. You see a sea of people just lying down on the road, and it's kind of like a carpet of people as part of their protest action. So it's a really vivid and evocative piece that, you know, again, really symbolizes this kind of unity of voices, of bodies, offering a kind of counter to the forces that be, in a way, to the state, because it is this unified spread, you know, bodies linked together, that is really, really a rich, a beautiful piece that, again, is symbolic of a lot of the issues that were and are pressing issues. Those are two pieces that really spoke to me. So in what you've been talking about so far, you've been placing a lot of emphasis on the exhibit showing these different kinds of continuums. And it seems to me that maybe in response to some of the mainstream Canadian, particularly white Canadian, assumptions about some of these issues, that these are things that happened then but not now, that happened there but not here. So talk a little bit more about the importance of those continuums and their substance. What is continuous across these contexts? Some of the same elements are still very much present. You know, systemic racism, encounters with the police, police violence, killing, the kind of smugness, I guess, around social movements that suggests that it doesn't happen here as much as it happens in the States. And that these movements just occurred as a result of or in response to what is happening in the States, which is just not true. There is homegrown, localized examples of all of this. You know, the racism, the violence, the violence encounters, the marginalization, the continued oppression of black and brown communities. So it may not occur in the same ways, but it certainly has been continues to occur. And as I mentioned earlier, in the 70s, the same rallying cry of no justice, no peace was used in demonstrations against police violence. Concretely, I remember the case of Lester Donaldson in 1988. Lester Donaldson was a mentally ill man, Jamaican, and there was a call to the house and the police entered and they killed him. And, you know, demonstrations in reaction 
to what happened also were mounted. And No Justice, No Peace was one of those rallying cries for that encounter. So really has not changed. And in fact, there is a kind of intensity because we have more technology at our use to bring these ideas, including photography, to bring these incidents to people's attention in faster modes, right? Because we have a camera phone, you can record on your camera, you can do Facebook Live, there's Snapchat, there's Instagram. So there are all of these different platforms that allow for the same documentation, but with more urgency, which again shows that it hasn't changed. And the same experience of the 70s and the 80s is present today. We just have different tools in which to disseminate what is happening, what is occurring in real time. I would say that's the only difference. What kinds of responses have you been getting to the No Justice, No Peace exhibit? Well, the response has been really positive and taking both shows, both the Power to the People at Ryerson and the Gladstone. I've been encouraging people to look at both, to juxtapose both spaces and both shows as a kind of, again, a continuum. And the feedback has been very, very positive. People have been very interested in going to the RIC, the Ryerson Image Center, and taking in all of the various elements of that season, and then coming to the Gladstone and looking at it from a more localized lens, I guess, and experience. So overall, people have seen it as a very rich experience to take both of these. And it's a lot. I mean, at times it can be very overwhelming because, you know, you're looking at Attica, you're looking at Birmingham, and you're looking at Angela Davis, and then you come to the Gladstone, you're looking at Ferguson, and you're looking at Toronto. So it's a lot to take in, but I think people and the media have been very receptive. And I think that reception has a lot to do with the current state of the world. You know, what has been happening in the state of Donald Trump and his Islamophobic and anti-immigrant message has definitely filtered down. And I think responses are very much based on the present and the very intense political climate in which we live. And then, you know, looking at it through a historical lens that actually then is now. And it resonates because you are really trying to process all that is happening and position yourself in a way that both reflects the past, but it's very grounded in the present. Tell me more about BAND and the work that it does. BAND was founded in 2008. The impetus was Barack Obama's election and the fact that he was very interested in a service to community. What does that look like? Why should you serve your community in what capacity, etc.? So four of us were involved in various aspects of cultural or arts or heritage work in Toronto and created first a conversation and then an actual organization that was, again, looking to support specifically Black artists in its kind of widest definition in terms of documenting the past and showcasing present artists and cultural work in Canada and internationally. So that was the core focus of the organization. And that has bloomed and blossomed over eight years. We've worked a lot with the Contact Photography Festival, showcasing African-American photographers like Gordon Parks, 
internationally in London, showing the work of James Barner, who was an African photographer from Ghana, but worked in London in the 50s and 60s. And then, of course, showing the work of local artists, both photographers and other artists working in different genres. It's been a place for symposiums and discussions related to whatever's happening in the community. Sometimes we're looking at the past. Sometimes we're talking to particular people who have made significant contributions in terms of arts and culture. So it's had a wide berth in terms of the things that we program and the artists that we show. So in general, how would you characterize the actual and potential relationships between photography and struggles for justice? Photography for black and brown people has been problematic through history. I mean, it was used as a kind of scientific tool to differentiate people especially people of African descent, from others. But I think in this case, and definitely as we see in the 60s and the 70s, it is now being used as a weapon to document, to make sure that people know what is happening. The Attica show is very clearly about that because those Attica prisoners brought the media in. They brought photographers in because they wanted to let the world know the state in which they were living. And without that, we would not have a visual record. We would have the state's point of view, which was, of course, highly skewed. So for me, photography has always played a really important role in trying to document the truth. And I, you know, put quotes around that word, but it is a way of allowing people to see what is happening and validate in real time. And that's the photographer's job. That's what Jelani and Chun and Nation were doing, embedding themselves at these moments, taking photographs, disseminating those photographs. And again, now more than ever, it will be a tool to continue that documentation, to allow people to experience what is happening as things unfold, as things unfold rapidly. In a time where there are things such as alternative facts and alternative truths, and, you know, it's really, I guess you can have an alternative image. I guess images can be doctored. But, you know, if there's more than one person taking a photograph, there are various perspectives. And I think that's what photography offers multiple perspectives of one incident or one encounter that then allows that kind of mediation of the alternative facts because you have multiple ways of looking at that encounter or whatever it is. So yeah, I think photography is more important than ever as a tool, as a weapon in these dark days and days that I think will get even darker. What advice would you give to youth who are excited about the potential for using images as part of their work in struggles for justice and liberation, but aren't quite sure how to go about developing the skills to do that? First of all, I would encourage them. I would say that it's a skill, right? While everyone has a phone that can take a photograph, you want to be able to have an eye, right? You want to be able to take a photograph that is meaningful, that isn't just a random photograph. If you want to be able to use this as part of your work as an activist, 
you want the message of the image of the photograph to speak very loudly, to speak for you. I would suggest that young people take a course if they are able to. They don't have to go to university to do it. Just a couple of courses to get well-versed on the language of photography, some of its history, and then the practical techniques and skills that one needs. But certainly, I would be comfortable saying to a young person, you know, take up your camera and take that photograph after you've learned some skills and see where it takes you. See how you can use it to inform a broader community about your own struggle, about your community struggle, and how that can instigate some kind of social change. So yeah, young people now more than ever, because of the technology, you know, it's almost at their disposal. And if they feel so inclined, then they should definitely take it up as a skill, as a weapon almost, to take charge of their own communities and destinies and be part of a larger conversation about the possibilities of change. In terms of your work as an independent curator, what projects do you foresee that build on the kinds of themes in the No Justice, No Peace exhibit? My work, my interest has always been grounded in the experiences of African and African diasporic people, their histories, and sometimes it's not as obviously political, but definitely it is about unearthing a certain history, a certain experience that is not always part of a mainstream consciousness. So, for instance, I am currently organizing a show for the Contact Festival for Band that looks at Black photojournalists from the late 70s into the 90s here in Toronto, trying to put these histories on a kind of continuum, making them known to larger communities and broader communities that these photographers existed that they were just as skilled as white Canadian photographers, that they experienced a lot of discrimination with photo editors at mainstream newspapers, but yet continued and persevered and produced some incredible images about communities in Toronto. So while the work is not overtly, although there are some protest images, about a particular demonstration or protest, etc., they still really challenge the perspective that there were no black journalists or they were not producing interesting work. That is kind of my mission. And so the work is always concerned with imparting those absences, I guess, for larger audiences. You have been listening to my interview with Julie Crooks. She's an instructor at University of Toronto, an independent curator, and a co-founder of the Black Artists Network Dialogue. She's been talking about the recently ended photo exhibition No Justice, No Peace from Ferguson to Toronto, which is one element of the season of exhibitions called Power to the People, Photography and Video of Repression and Black Protest, which is still ongoing at the Ryerson Image Centre in Toronto. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. 
I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.